fears today. I want to preach today on the subject of fighting your fear and feeding your faith. I believe the Lord wants us to feed our faith. Do not feed our fears, but feed our faith. I love the story of the little boy. He was at the mall uh, one day and four years old, and he all of a sudden discovered that his mother uh, was not to be found. He was absolutely lost uh, at the mall. And so he began to cry in the middle of the floor, I want my mommy! And people were watching him as he began to scream, I want my mommy! And they felt sorry for him. So they began to throw dollar bills here and there and throw change to him. And he just kept screaming, uh, I want my mommy! About that time, one lady leaned over to him and said, Son, I know where your mama's at. He said, Shh, I do too. Don't tell anybody, okay? He was enjoying getting the money. Uh, don't feed your fears, but feed your faith. I want to share with you today a great passage of Scripture in the book of Micah. Turn to the book of Micah in the Old Testament, this little minor prophet who is a contemporary of Isaiah. We're going to have a little journey today in the Bible. Turn to Isaiah, I'm sorry, Micah rather, and we're going to look, first of all, at a very familiar passage of Scripture that everybody knows. However, we're going to expand, as the Lord enables us to, uh, some chapter, namely chapter 4 of the book of Micah. And so, as we turn to the book of Micah, I want you to know that uh, uh, you can face your fears and you can fight your fears and you can feed your faith today. And speaking of that, you know, this time of the year, uh, many people are just covering up some real issues. For example, uh, I thought about uh, as what Rob, Dr. Rob Randall has written a book and somebody gave it to me, a copy of it, and I was browsing through it the other day and I noticed he listed several uh, issues that Christians face today. You know what they were? Sexual sins. Number two, substance abuse. Number three, not necessarily in this order, but uh, serious anger and bitterness. Christians now, and then number four, suicidal thoughts. You imagine, maybe there's somebody you today that's sitting here that have been really dis discouraged and down and depressed. I don't know. But, and then self-worth issues. These are all issues Christians face, not just non-Christians, believers. And so I want to ask you today, as I share with you, there's three reasons I find in the text the Lord put in my heart this week as I was studying and praying for the message today, Three reasons you and I ought to fight our fear and feed our faith. Three reasons. We're going to see it very clearly in the book of Micah here very shortly. Let me give them to you, and then we'll recap them once again. One, will you look back and see that God has kept his promises in the past? We'll see that very clearly in Micah chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in just a moment. Number two, will you not only look back and see that God has been so good to keep his promises in the past, but number two, we'll see in the book of Micah chapter four that God is and will be faithful and will keep his promises in the future. That's why we can face our fears. That's why we can fight our fears and we can feed our faith. But there's a third reason we'll see 
in the book of Micah, not chapter 5 and chapter 4, but we'll turn over to chapter 7 in a moment and see that uh, the Lord, we can look around everywhere we look and see that God uh, will keep his promises and is keeping his promises in the present. By the way, how many of you saw in the paper yesterday uh, the baseball player, uh, I think his name was Josh Donaldson. If I'm not mistaken, I think he played with the Braves. I'm not 100% sure, but many of you can tell me for a fact. Did you see what he did yesterday? At least I saw it in the paper. His mom promised him that she'd quit smoking. And, uh, and if she quit smoking, that maybe she would get something from her son. Did y'all see it? He bought her, uh, is it a Maserati, a brand new $100,000 car. Why? Because she kept her promise to quit smoking. She did it for two years. You didn't see that? And boy, she was overwhelmed when she got this uh, brand new car because she kept her promises. When I read that, I thought, wow, if a mom will keep her promises to her son, how much more would our Heavenly Father keep his promises to us? And certainly he does. And I am reading now from the book of Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Turn there, and if you would, stand to your feet. Good to see you again, Patsy, this morning. Thank you, Jim, for getting that piece of paper that uh, we've been praying for you, Patsy, by the way. And Micah chapter 5, very familiar passage of Scripture this time of the year, very fitting. But I want to tell you, we need to back up to chapter 4 in order to read the context of chapter 5. Now, before we read, uh, what is Micah, this little prophet, uh, writing about anyway? He's writing around the year 700 A.D., I'm sorry, 700 B.C. And then, not only that, but if you'll notice, he, as I mentioned a moment ago, he's a contemporary by Isaiah. His message is this, twofold. One, the judgment of God was coming. Two, that God had hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm reading from Micah. Let's back up to chapter 4 and verse 13. We'll come back to chapter 4 in a moment, but if you're in verse 13, let me break right into the text. It won't make a lot of sense when we start reading it, but as we put the pieces together in the puzzle, you'll understand it better by and by. Verse 13, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, that thou shalt beat into pieces many peoples. And I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Now we move to chapter 5 and verse 1. Now gather thyself in troops. Here's an invading army that Mike is portraying and conveying. And that's why we needed to skip back to chapter 4, verse 13. Gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. Now, and they shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. Hold your place right there. And obviously, those of you that have studied Bible history know that the Assyrians invaded in 722 B.C. and overtook the northern kingdom called Israel at the time. But meanwhile, they were circling around the southern kingdom later that was called Judah. Micah's writing to both, as a matter of fact, but mainly to the southern kingdom of Judah. That's the setting behind the book of Micah, chapter 5. I want you to pay attention, please, to verse 2. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Notice it with me. But thou, Bethlehem, house of bread, Ephratah. And that word Ephratah means fruitful. It's another word that's mentioned for the Bethlehem, Judea. 
Read it again with me, chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he, notice not it, but shall he, come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. No doubt this is a reference to the birthplace of our Lord. Keep reading verse 3. Therefore will he give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth them the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel and then etc. etc. Let's pause there. We'll come back to chapter 4 in a moment. Father, I thank you now for the infallible and errant word. Lord, I thank you that you know everything, the beginning, the end, and everything in between. And therefore, Father, I pray today your Holy Spirit would impart to us wisdom and revelation and that you would enable us to overcome and rise above our fears, our insecurity. We trust you, Father God, that you would help us to feed our faith today, trust in you. And I'm asking now for mamas and daddies and, and young people, Lord, that in this whole world of ours, this uncertain and so much insecurities, yet you are our security, hallelujah. You are our rock, amen. And you are our fortress, yes. And you are our exceeding great reward. And you are the one who was and is and is to come. And the whole earth is full of your glory as the waters that cover the sea. We pray that you be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be in all the earth. And we thank you now that we worship you, a living God, who's created heaven and earth. And Lord, how you unfold your divine will as we read in the pages of Holy Scripture how you sent forth your Son to be born of a virgin and to be the Savior of the world, to save me from my sins, to save us and forgive our sins and then rise from the grave as you were crucified and buried and yet promised to come again with life everlasting to all who believe. We have hope today, Lord, because of you. We have life today because of you. We have peace today, Father, because of you and because of your finished works on Calvary. And we ask now that again you'll quicken our hearts that you would uh, deliver us from the evil one and that, Father, our faith in you would be strengthened and that, God, the strongholds of the enemy and the lies of demonic activity would be bound and would be cast down and would be thrown aside and that, Jesus, you'll have all there is to us because you bought us, because you love us, because you're coming back for us. And we thank you now that you are in control and we pray blessings on your church and we pray, ask God in the name of Jesus, Father God, that you would give us great influence in this community and that the gospel, the good news would echo from sea to shining sea and around this world because we know the time is late and because there's an urgency in the matter to go and tell and to get out the good news in a bad news world. We bless you now for the blood of the cross and for victory in Jesus. And we love you because your great love for us now changes, Father, as we sit under the spout that comes from your Lord throne of grace. 
minister every heart and be glorified again, we ask with thanksgiving and give you praise for it, expecting you to do great things. In the name of Jesus, Father, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Here's where we're going in the text today. As I shared with you, there's three reasons the Lord put in my heart to share with you today why you can fight your fear and feed your faith. Number one, if you'll notice on the screen, will you look back and see? Will you look back and see? Yes, that God has kept His promises in the past. Will you take a look back and see God has kept His promises? God's kept His promises in the past. And then secondly, we'll see in a moment that we can look uh, ahead and see that God will keep His promises in the future. And that's Micah chapter 4. We'll turn to that in a moment. And then we'll look around and see how God is keeping His promise in the present as we look at Micah chapter 7. Now then, first of all, if you'll notice with me, God is faithful to keep His promises in the past. I want to ask you a question. Anybody know what's going to happen tomorrow? Does anybody know what's going to happen three weeks from today? Does anybody know what's going to happen five months from today? Does anybody know what's going to happen five years from today? Probably not. You may be guessing at it. You don't know what's going to happen in three weeks. You don't know what's going to happen in five years. None of us really know the future, but wait a minute. We do know who holds the future. Hallelujah. And yes, God is in control. But here's the point. The point is God knows what's going to take place in the future. And therefore, can I suggest to you that you can trust Him today? Can I suggest to you today those cares and those worries and those burdens, we can take them to the Lord and leave them at His feet because God knows every hair on our head. And God knows when one little bird falls to the earth. And God knows when the sun's going to shine and when the moon's going to shine. And God knows, oh, yes, one little bird that falls to the earth. Yes, God is in control. But it reminded me, speaking of that, about the fortune teller. Did you hear about it? A fortune teller, palm reader, had a big sign outside the business that says, knows all, sees all, tells all. And then at the bottom it said, when you drive up, honk your horn. That way we'll know you're out there. All right? Now that sounds like a contradiction to me. No, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Have you ever made a statement and said, I'll never do this? Anybody ever made a statement and said, I'll never do this? Anybody ever made a statement and said, I'll never do that? Hey, you better, there's an old saying around our house, and you know what it is. What is it? Never. Never say never. You got to be careful. You say you never do this. I remember 30 years ago, I was talking about it the other day. I saw somebody walking around with a cell phone pinned to their side. I told Deanne, I said, look, I will never carry one of them things. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you say, all right? Don't, never say never. Peter learned that. Peter said, I'll never deny you, and yet he did. So you got to be careful, and don't say, I'll never do that. Now, we come to Micah chapter 5, and here is a pinpoint precision that God gives this minor prophet named Micah to be the birthplace of our Lord. Can I tell you all something? I'll never forget a few years ago, we had landed our plane in Tel Aviv. We went from Tel Aviv. I'm talking about Israel right now. We landed in Tel Aviv, and we came from Tel Aviv, which would be located over on this side, and we made our about two-hour journey over here to Jerusalem. 
Then by bus we made our way. And by the way, Jerusalem is elevated. That's why the phrase going up to Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible. It doesn't mean up as in north, but elevation as in up. I believe it's 2,500 feet above sea level. But anyway, the point being this, we went down to Bethlehem. I'll never forget the experience. Oh my, I wish you could have been there. I was there. When we got off the bus, it was getting dark about that time. We were on a hill overlooking what is called the shepherd's field. Have you ever heard of the shepherd's field? It's just outside of Bethlehem. It's supposedly, and I believe personally, the birthplace of our Lord. I, can you imagine standing in Israel? Can you imagine standing there in Bethlehem and the outskirts overlooking this place we're reading about today? I was so overstricken with uh, emotions, and I was asked to lead in prayer. We had a group with us, about 40 or 50 people. I'll never forget standing there in, in uh, that place called Bethlehem, and uh, a wave of emotion came over me. As I began to pray and say, oh God, I know I'm unworthy to even stand here, but I just want to thank you for your great promises and keeping your promises. And by the way, you do know, and I've shared it before, but in case you have forgotten or maybe hadn't heard, Bethlehem, Judea, is not the same Bethlehem as up would have been near Galilee. There was a Bethlehem, Galilee, which was six miles from Nazareth where Mary and Joseph were were traveling where they left uh, and uh, six miles north they could have easily gone there you know the word of God in the book of Luke chapter 2 uh, that uh, Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world should be taxed sound like today doesn't it and uh, yet Mary and Joseph were going to go to Bethlehem uh, the place where David by the way was born as well and yet they couldn't go six miles north, even though it had been a lot shorter. Rather, they had to travel down this 80 approximately miles south. They didn't stop at the major metropolitans. No, they didn't stop at Jerusalem. They didn't stop at a place called Jericho. Rather, they had to come down to this place called Bethlehem. Why? Because Micah the prophet had prophesied it 700 years before the event ever took place. And, and thus the word of God was fulfilled, just like the Lord said. Well, I want to tell you, God can predict things, and things happen according to his prediction. I don't know anybody else, watch this, that's 100% correct. They might guess at it here and guess at it, Nostradamus and, and some of these so-called fortune tellers and psychics. They might guess at it and get it right every once in a while, but they're not 100% correct. And the Bible teaches us that if a man or a woman says something's going to happen and it doesn't happen 100% of the time, mark them down as a false prophet. I could camp there for a little while because I'm not going to label any, but there are some groups today that claim now it's not 100% according to Deuteronomy 18, but they say, but if we get it, everyone, the Lord showed me this is going to happen. And it don't happen, false prophet, okay? False prophet, false teacher. Because it's got to be 100% correct. And, and by the way, uh, God hadn't moved his standard. I'm just sharing that with you in case you read about some of these predictions. And then, and then God showed me this is going to happen. And, you know, I don't want to name any names, but I'll just mention some subjects while I'm on the subject. Blood, blood moons, and this is the end. Remember when all the hype was going on about that? Movies being made, books being written. No criticism. I'm just saying the people of God need to be discerning these days. And it seems like people are gullible. We're, we're caught up in a sensational world that's mystified with the 
the uh, spiritual world, and we've got to be careful, and we need to be uh, discerning and understanding the times in which we're living. At any rate, here in the book of, well, really, uh, Micah's uh, prophecy, and then what about Isaiah's prophecy? You're very familiar with Isaiah 7:14, the prediction, Behold, a virgin shall bring forth a child, Call his name Emmanuel. He should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the government of this world should be upon his shoulders. That's Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. That's Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. By the way, you know, Matthew records that this particular prophecy was fulfilled in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Where is it found? In Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. By the way, do you know that Isaiah 7 14 was also fulfilled? Exactly like God said, where does that fulfill? In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 through 23. And behold, a virgin shall bring forth a child called his name Emmanuel. Hey, did I ever tell you that I was talking with a Jew one time? Did I ever tell you I was talking with a Jewish man one time? And you know what he told me? He was not a Christian. Here's what he said. He said, Pastor, y'all believe that uh, this uh, lady was a virgin named Mary. He said, I don't believe that. And boy, that really got my wheels to turning. I went home that night, stayed up to about 4 o'clock in the morning searching the Scripture. I said, Lord, I'm, I don't have to have proof, but I'll just believe it anyway. But Lord, if it please you, uh, reveal some things to me. And then I discovered, as I shared with you before, the word virgin in the Hebrew is the word Bethula, Alma, and it's translated, you do know the Old Testament was translated into what we call the Greek uh, language, which we define as the Septuagint. Now, the Septuagint reveals the word from Alma, Bethula, which means a woman who's never known a man, is translated Parthenos. Interesting to note, the same word is used in Matthew 1, verse 21. A virgin shall bring forth a child. Now listen, that is very important, what we call the virgin birth doctrine. Why? Because Jesus, the ancient of days, became the infant of days. You see, because the Lord Jesus had no earthly, he had no uh, heavenly mother, uh, but he really didn't have an earthly father. I know that Joseph uh, fulfilled the role, but he wasn't the one that conceived our Lord. Rather, the Holy Ghost was. I'm saying this, I'm saying the Lord has prophesied in his word many things concerning not only his first birth, but his death. I could go on and on about how Zechariah 99 describes it right in the back of a donkey. And it was fulfilled uh, 500 years later in the book of Luke chapter 19. I could tell you how that Isaiah pinpointed he would be crucified between two thieves. Isaiah 53 said he was numbered with the transgressors. I could point you over there to Luke chapter 22 and tell you that's exactly what was fulfilled in the word of God. All I'm saying is we serve a mighty God and we can fight our fears and feed our faith because the word of God is forever settled in heaven oh yes it is so number one will you look around will you look back and see that God has kept his promises in the past I'm telling you today Micah chapter 5 verse 2 God promised that the birthplace would be Bethlehem and God fulfilled his promises is there anybody here today that can look back on your life and say God told me that my body was going to be healed the doctors gave up on me or maybe um, no one knew what the Lord was up to in my life but God healed my body it was the Lord that raised me off of my bed of affliction yes God is a covenant keeping God yes 
yes, all the promises of God in Christ Jesus there. Yea, and in Him there. Amen. Yes, is there anybody here today could testify and say God sure has been faithful to keep His promises in the past. Yes, it was the Lord that told me that He would meet all of my needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It was the Lord that brought the manna from heaven. It was the Lord that brought resources that I had no idea where they were coming from. But God is a God called Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He didn't tell me He'd meet all my wants, but He did tell me He'd meet all my needs. Is there anybody here that could testify like David of old? Once I was young but now I'm old yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken neither received begging bread. Is there anybody here that will dare to believe God that God is going to see you through whatever you're facing today? Is there anybody here that would say yes God has kept his promises uh, like uh, for example one day is there anybody here that would say like me I was lost as a a ball in high weeds and I didn't have any direction in life. I had no meaning in life. I was wandering aimlessly serving the devil in the devil's army. But God in His mercy and God in His grace and God in His great love reached His long arm of grace down and pulled me up out of the miry clay and planted my feet on the solid rock and gave me joy unspeakable full of glory and gave me peace that passes understanding that money can't buy and the world can't give and the devil can't take away. It was the Lord who is my refuge and strength. It's the Lord who promised He won't leave me nor forsake me. It's God Almighty that my trust is in that's going to one day take me to heaven when I breathe my last breath. It's God. And I want to tell you today, we can fight our fear and feed our faith. You can do it. And I hope you'll do it today. Yes, I was talking with a man here recently. He told me he had a daughter, 27 years old, that died. The daughter died of meningitis. Now he has a 27-year-old son uh, that's life is weighing in the balance. And I prayed with that man, and I said what I'm preaching to you today. I said, we've got to fight our fear and feed our faith. May I remind you what Paul said to Timothy? He said, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear thou not, I'm with thee. Be not dismayed, I'm thy God. I will help thee, I will strengthen thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Is there anybody here facing some phobias about the future, about uh, your health, about your family? Oh, look back and see how the Lord has kept his promises in the past. But don't stop there. Keep going further to take a look around. And look ahead. Will you look ahead and see how God will keep His promises in the future? Now I want you to zero in on Micah chapter 4 for a moment. Look over in Micah chapter 4 for a moment. And I want to give you four words. If you're taking notes this morning, how many of you are taking notes? Let me see your hand. Praise the Lord. Here's four words I want to give you as we look at this text. And uh, uh, they all start with P, what we call alliterated. It helps you to remember them. As I was studying and praying over the passage, God gave me these words. To share with you is hopefully a way you can remember. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4 is a tremendous 
chapter. I don't know if you've read it or studied it lately. We're going to just briefly hit the highlights today, and I believe it'll be a blessing to you. The four words that start with P are number one, notice the place. Number two, the peace. Number three, the people. And number four, the plan. Don't worry about it if you didn't get them all of them. I'll have them on the, on the screen in just a moment. But can I tell you this? You need to see something in Scripture, and I've shared it before, but in case you have forgot it, you know this time of the year, there's a phrase over in Micah chapter 4 that's so very wonderful. Look at Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. Look at Micah chapter 4 and verse 8. We're still talking about the God, uh, the God who keeps his promises in the past and will keep his promises in the future. Micah chapter 4, notice verse 8. And thou, O tower of the flock. Would you underline that phrase, tower of the flock? I want to tell you what it means in case you forgot or in case you're not sure or in case you've never heard. Tower of the flock. That's an interesting word slash phrase there. Keep reading. O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. And anytime you see that, you know Zion's reference to Jerusalem. Zion, or can be the Israelites, the Jews, the daughter of Zion, under thee shall it come. Even under the first dominion, the kingdom, I'm reading from chapter 4, verse 8, even at the end of it, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. The first word is this, but hold your thought there. Do you know what the word tower of the flock is? I don't know if you can see it back where you're sitting, but here's the tower of the flock. Do you notice this right here? This is called the tower of the flock. It's only used two times in the Bible. Once in regards to Jacob after Rachel had died in the book of Genesis, twice right here in the book of Micah, two times. The tower of the flock is a Hebrew word called Migdal Adar. Migdal Adar. Say it with me. Migdal Adar. One more time. Migdal Adar. And the tower of the flock, Migdal Adar, is a Hebrew word that means exactly what it's saying. It's a tower. When we were in Israel, we rode by numerous, a few of these towers. Most of the towers are about three stories high. I want to go back to where we was at. And the shepherd would go up in this tower called Migdal Adar. Interesting that Micah makes reference to that. Interesting that Micah makes reference to that as regards to Bethlehem where Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, would be born. This tower of the flock, this Migdal Adar, the shepherd would go up and would gaze around and check out uh, the horizon. Perchance any wild animals would attack the sheep. And furthermore, when a mama sheep would be birthing a little baby ewe lamb, the shepherd would take that little ewe lamb and bring it usually to the first floor, we're told by Jewish scholars, and wrap that little baby ewe lamb in swaddling clothes, similar, and why? Put it in the first floor. Why? These were sheep that were to be offered as sacrifices because this is on the road to Jerusalem, which sacrifices were offered uh, throughout the year. And whether it was December or not, uh, the shepherds would still be in their fields watching their flock by night due to the sacrifices that were needed. I simply am saying this, 
that this is certainly a great picture of this same location, Bethlehem, Ephratah, where the Lord (laughs) Jesus, uh, yes, the Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Yes, he would be born in this place, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid in a manger. Just much like uh, the precursor of these sheep and the shepherd, and they understood the significance of this Migdal Adar Tower of the Flock. I mentioned to you the book of Genesis, rather. Migdal Adar is mentioned in the Hebrew Targums. And you can read this, the Genesis 35, 21, Micah chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. The significance of all of this is this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's this. The uh, watchtower or this Migdal Adar, this uh, tower of the flock, was to guard the flocks raised for temple sacrifice. I already mentioned that. Jesus was born where the sacrificial lambs were born, if not in Migdal Adar. And uh, so this is very significant, beloved, as we study this passage of Scripture, fighting our Fear and feeding our faith. Now, that brings me to the second reason you ought to fight your fear and feed your faith. Are you ready? Here it is. Will you take a look ahead and see how God will keep his promises in the future? Zero in on chapter 4 of the book of Micah. Look at verse 1. Don't miss it now. Here's a great passage of Scripture, and it starts off in regards to the last days. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But... In the last days, underline that because that tells us what Micah is foreshadowing. He's foreshadowing a prophetic event in the future. It's in the last days. Note that. But in the last days, not Micah's day, but in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow unto it. And many nations, verse 2, shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. That is a reference to the temple mount. That is a reference to this place I'm going to be talking about, namely Jerusalem. And then notice what he says. Let's go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Verse 2, the middle of the verse. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hey, remember I told you I was going to give you four words. Here they are. Number one, the place. Number two, the peace. Number three, the people. Number four, the plan. All of these are derived from Micah's wonderful foreshadowing or letter his minor prophet record of God's promises all right first the place did you know the word Jerusalem you know how many times it's mentioned in the Bible 764 times Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible did you know that in Psalm 132 and verse 13 the reference is to Jerusalem the reference is to the fact that this would be God's habitation for his people. God established Jerusalem to be the focal point of things to come hereafter. And can I just tell you this? David of old, I want to carry you back to an Old Testament passage, 2 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 7. You see, my goal when I get, you get a chance to share the Word of God is not to entertain, but I want us to be the people of the book, the Word of God. 
I want us to know the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't want to just get out one or two verses of Scripture. My goal for us as God's people is that we would, uh, we would study the Word and then that we would know it, but not only know it, but then we would live it, amen, and more importantly, to know the God of the Bible. And that's why we're looking at these passages today. Again, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Do you know that David made Jerusalem, first of all, the spiritual capital? The capital was not in Jerusalem. It was during the days of David. He made Jerusalem the capital, which it is now. Thank God we got a president, namely Donald Trump, who recognized uh, Jerusalem as uh, the capital of Israel. Somebody say amen. And not only that, but David in chapter 6 made it the political capital of Israel. David, King David, who reigned about 33 years in Judah and 7 years in Israel, a total of 40 years, one of the greatest kings Israel has ever known because he led Israel with the skill of his hand and the integrity of his heart. Not perfect, mind you, but a man after God's own heart. And so it was in the the uh, area of Jerusalem that he not only made it the spiritual capital and the political capital, but if you were to read chapter 7 of the book of 2 Samuel, notice I gave you chapter 5, 6, and 7. And you can read it. Chapter 7, it becomes the eternal capital. God gave David a promise. Now, I know most of us today are in Americanized Christianity. We don't really care a lot about the Old Testament. I said we don't care. Let me rephrase that. We don't study the Old Testament. We think, oh, well, that's just, that's just kind of stuff that's talked about. All I want to know is what's in it for me, Americanized Christianity. But in order for us to understand the historical content, to be able to draw some practical application, it's important we understand these things. And so that's the reason we take time to do this and not just buy into this American, westernized Christian mindset uh, to think Jesus was born in New York or somewhere and, and how we relate to that. Rather, we understand the Bible is God's infallible word. And therefore, again, the eternal capital. What does that mean? It means God established a covenant with David. And I'm not going to go into all that right now, but I have told you before, that covenant has not been fully fulfilled. But it will one day, as we'll talk about in just a moment. The place, Jerusalem. The last days, keep your eyes on Jerusalem. No wonder it's a cup of trembling. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. Zechariah says Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling. You know that's apocalyptic literature. It's a picture of a man who's intoxicated as he's uh, drank uh, alcoholic beverage and he's drunk to try to control Jerusalem. Is that not what we're facing today? Isn't that exactly what's happening today with the Muslims? By the way, Muslims uh, even acknowledge uh, some of the things that I'm sharing with you today. Islam does. And therefore, I'm telling you some things that as we write and divide the word of truth. But the point being this, the place, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that's where our Lord's going to come back. Hello? He's going to go down to the Mount of Olives, go down to the Kidron Valley, and make his way through the eastern gate, by the way, which is shut and where the glory departed in the book of Ezekiel. But he's going to make his way through the eastern gate and sit on his throne in Messiah's temple, not the temple of the Antichrist. Messiah's temple is described in Ezekiel chapter 40. Too much details, maybe for Sunday morning. Well, anyway, let me go on to the next thought, all right? Micah chapter 4 and verse 3. Not only the place, but the peace. Notice chapter 4 and verse 3. Look at it, please. Chapter 4 and verse 3. We're talking about fighting our fear and feeding our faith. And he shall judge among many people 
and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall, underline this, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people will walk, everyone, in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Why do we got it labeled peace? Here's why. How many know that there's not going to be true peace on this earth until the Prince of Peace comes? That's exactly right. And no wonder Isaiah said he's called the Prince of Peace. Yes, we won't see uh, this place called Jerusalem. That's the focal point. This is not a temple. Rather, this is the Muslim Dome of the Rock where we had the privilege of standing there on the Temple Mount. And uh, here is a place called the Western Wall, otherwise known as the Wailing Wall. Uh, you've probably seen that in pictures as well. The Prince of Peace. What is Micah talking about? He's talking about this. There's not going to be any peace. There's not going to be any tranquility or harmony until the Prince of Peace comes and sets up his throne. Well, when will that take place? That's going to take place futuristically. That's why Micah's talking about it. The Prince of Peace will usher in his kingdom and otherwise known when he comes in his second coming and his kingdom, there shall be no end. Isn't what the world looking for, peace? Many of you are looking for peace today. I said many of you are looking for peace today, maybe in a bottle, maybe in a pill, maybe in some illicit experience. You won't find peace. The world's looking for peace. Why is it that millionaires and movie stars and the rich and the famous are taking their life? Why is it if money is where peace comes? Money can buy you a lot of things, but it can't buy you true everlasting peace. That comes in a relationship with God. Amen and amen and amen. And so, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Tell me, do you got peace today? Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth you unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Some of us today need to fight our fears, and we need to feed our faith. Peace, peace. Yes, the Lord said, oh yes, peace I leave with you. Thank God for his peace, the Prince of Peace. One day will come and rule and reign for a thousand years, and his kingdom there shall be no end. By the way, do you know this is depicted in Isaiah chapter 11? Do you know this is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 65? Did you know this is referenced in Revelation chapter 20? There are those who'd have us today uh, who say, well, the Old Testament doesn't mention the millennial reign. Millennial means 1,000 years. It's called uh, uh, that uh, time when Christ will bind, one angel will bind Satan. How many know that Satan's not bound today? That tells me we're not in the millennial now. It's mentioned six times, 1,000 years in the book of Revelation. But anyway, here's the point. The point is this, that the Lord Jesus will establish his rule and reign. You do know during the millennial reign, and you ought to study it. Why? Because this is the future. Why? Because this is the way we fight our fears and feed our faith, knowing where we're going, knowing what's going on, knowing how the church is even going to experience the bliss along with Israel during the millennial reign. And so the Lord Jesus will again sit on his throne. Did you know a child will live to be 120 years old according to Isaiah chapter 65 before dying, before making a decision? People will go into millennial reign with earthly bodies. They'll be able to repopulate the earth and then the Satan will be loosed after the thousand years for a little while in the battle of Gog and Magog. Not the same battle in Ezekiel 38 and 39, a different battle. 
will take place and then there'll be the great white throne judgment. The peace of God. Tell me today, are you experiencing peace? Yes. Now I want you to notice with me, uh, lastly, uh, not only the peace of God, but notice this. Notice the people of God. Notice the people of God. Look at Micah chapter 4 and verse 6. Come on. This is a good Bible study. Average Christian don't even study the Bible during the week. Your Bible sits there on the coffee table. It sits on your truck or in your car. And that's why this morning I love this time together. I cherish this time together to pour into you the Word of God. And I trust you are studying your Bible during the week. But most people are so busy. Uh, when you're working full time, it's, it's challenging. Maybe a verse here and a verse there. Maybe a chapter here and a chapter there. But see, that's where I have the privilege of coming in and uh, sharing with you these uh, wonderful truths. Look at chapter 4 and verse 6. In that day, saith the Lord, I will assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast far uh, off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in the Mount Zion from henceforth and then forevermore. I want to just say this. Did you know Israel became a nation in 1948? Did you know the word of God is being fulfilled? God said he's going to bring his people back to their homeland. This is a partial fulfillment of the Bible. And yet it is also going to be a futuristic fulfillment of the Bible where the Lord will gather his people according to Ezekiel chapter 37. Hey, by the way, you probably need to get the tape to listen to this over. I know I'm throwing out a lot of information, but, and I'm not trying to promote tapes other than promoting the word of God and studying it. Anyway, I said that to say this. People are uh, aliyah, returning. Aliyah is the Hebrew word, returning to Israel. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. See that the word of God is being fulfilled before our very eyes. Infiltrating from uh, uh, the EU. Many of the Muslims have, immigrants have invaded and inundated uh, that part of the world and therefore many of the Jews are returning back to their homeland in spite of the political instability and it looks like they'll be going to a third uh, vote for the prime minister uh, Gantz and uh, Netanyahu will be running you can keep up with the news as I try to and so the people are returning Micah says but wait a minute that leads us to the the plan chapter 4 verse 11 look at chapter 4 verse 11 here we go Fight your fears and feed your faith. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. I'm skipping through a lot of this, so y'all be well aware that I don't have time to deal with it all. Verse 11, and now also many nations are gathered against thee. Remember, Micah's looking into the future, and we can trust God going to fulfill his word. Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. But they know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand that they is counsel, for he shall gather them as the sheaves unto the floor, arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron, and I will make thy hooves brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. We started off by that verse. What's he saying? He's saying this, God's got a plan. You know what God's plan is? Do you know what God's going to do? I can tell you what God's going to do in this plan. He's going to uh, allow heathen nations to come and invade Israel from the north. In fact, we can see the stage being set up right now. With who? What about Turkey, Erdogan? Now, I'm not talking about ancient biblical information. I'm talking about present-day news. Erdogan in Turkey. Man, he wants to obliterate the Jewish people. He wants to be the caliphate to set up his uh, Muslim worldwide caliphate. And, uh, and so he was recently in, 
in Washington, and he was rebuked by one of the senators. I don't know if you've read that or not. Uh, Lindsey Graham, to tell you who it was. At any rate, but who are the other countries that are, that are going to coalition together, align themselves against Israel? Well, what about Iran today? I don't have to tell you about how the Israel is the little Satan with Iran today. It's in the news. I mean, you see it all the time. And how they've got uh, Hezbollah and uh, Hamas, these two Islamic uh, terrorist groups, just because ISIS is not prominent anymore doesn't mean ISIS has gone away. They just go and get in these other terroristic groups. And uh, without going into too much detail about it, all I'm saying is this. This is going to happen, Ezekiel 38, 39, where Russia, don't forget Russia, Gog and Magog, Ezekiel points out God being the ruler, Magog being Russia, Rosh. And then Turkey is Meshach, Tubal, Tagarma listed. And then Persia is listed in Ezekiel 38 and 5. What about Syria? Hello, you men that were serving in the military, y'all know what I'm talking about. Bashar Assad has been in a civil war for years. America withdrew some of the troops, and then Russia has moved right in. I'm saying this. I'm saying there's coming a time the word of God will be fulfilled where Israel will be invaded from the north. By the way, simultaneously, Psalm 83 will be fulfilled as well. The Ishmaelites, which is Saudi Arabia. All I'm saying is the word, there's a lot in the Bible we don't really uh, sometimes uh, uh, understand, and I don't understand it all, but man, it's the Bible comes alive to us. Hallelujah. And so God has been faithful in the past, certainly has. And look at this. Will you take a look not only in the past to see the God's promises kept? Secondly, will you take a look in the uh, around you, ahead of you, and see that God will keep his promises in the future. Thirdly, will you take a look around and see how God is keeping his promises in the present? Turn to chapter 7 of Book of Micah. Don't you love the Bible? I love the Bible. Come back tonight, by the way. We're studying uh, apologetics, how to defend your faith. I believe this day and time is important for every Christian to know how to study their Bible uh, that would give an offense, a defense of what we believe, not apology. Apology is the word. It, it doesn't mean apologize. I'm not talking about arguing. I'm talking about Christians need to know what the Bible teaches and to be able to share the truth of God in this deceptive world. Hey, you know what Jesus said would be indicative of the last days? In chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, y'all listening? If you're listening, say amen. You know what he said it would be indicative of the last days? Deception. He said it in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew. In the context, it's called the Olivet Discourse. He said deception, verse 4. He said deception, verse 5. He said deception, verse 11. He said deception, verse 24. Four times he mentioned deception in the last days. I'd say we're living in those days right now. I'd say the people of God need to know what the Bible, the Word of God is, is telling us in regards to where we're at, where we're going, that we wouldn't be tossed to and from without every wind of doctrine, that we'd recognize false teaching and so forth. Anyway, but... Because, by the way, this is leading to the false church that's going to be established in Revelation 17. You do know that, don't you? There's going to be a false apostate church. And so I don't just get up here and rant and rave because I like, because I'm trying to stay healthy. I believe the Bible. And I believe you need to know the Bible, and we need to know the Bible. We need to be like the men of Issachar, understanding the times we're living, that we may know what we ought to do. I mean, and, and be it, and have hope and peace. That's the title of the message. Fight your fear. Feed your faith. Look you, can't, look, you can't feed your faith if you don't know the Bible. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if you don't know the Word of God, you're going to live in fear. I'm going to live in fear. 
I'll be honest with y'all, there's nothing like the Bible. When I get uh, feeling insecure or whatever, see if you're like me. And I get that feeling like, Lord, that things are going out of control and, and God, this is happening, things like, and, 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 and I just, my, I just have to get with the Lord. And it's nothing like God's word begins to come to my heart and mind and bring faith and confidence in him. Man, I tell you what, I can save you a lot of money. I can save you a pile of money from going to the doctor and going to the hospital. Sometimes it's needful. But do you know what doctors say? A large percentage of what people are facing today is issues, emotional issues, and often tied back to spiritual problems. Y'all don't believe that, do you? I can save you a pile of money from going to the doctor. You, we go, a lot of people go because emotionally distressed and mentally uh, unstable because all this stress and pressure is caving in on us in the world, right? You know what I'm talking about. And if we don't go to God in prayer, we're going to be feeling anxious about it. And we're going to be feeling overwhelmed by it. But I'm telling you that God made us. He knows what makes us tick. Hello. He knows how to fix the problem. He knows how to leave us here in this old world and give us victory no matter what the devil's doing, no matter what circumstances can't change, no matter what people are saying. We serve a living God that's on his throne and he's made us. He's bought us with his own blood. He said, don't be afraid, little children. I've got everything under control. I'm coming back for you one day. I've got a plan for your life. I've got a purpose for your life. Keep looking up. Your redemption draws nigh. Yes, God is a mighty God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Chapter 7. Look at chapter 7. Verse number 18 and 19. I'll be done. Uh, we could look ahead and see how God is keeping His promise in the... Uh, not only His promises in the past and the, and the uh, future, but in the present. How He's keeping His promises in the present. I love this. Chapter 7 and verse 18. Who is God like unto thee? Chapter 7, verse 18. That pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, but he delighteth in mercy. Right down, verse 17. Man, I tell you, this is a great verse right here. Verse 17. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. Yes, that's worth shouting over right there. I think I'll just shout. Hallelujah. And he will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins. Where? In the depths of where? The sea. You ever stood there at the sea? I remember standing one time looking over the ocean. And man was standing there beside me. He was talking about how deep the sea was. Seven miles at its deepest point. He said this. He said, I wonder what's at the bottom of the sea. I said, I know what's at the bottom of the sea. He said, what? I said, I know what's at the bottom of the sea. He said, what? I said, my sins. <laughs> My sins are at the bottom of the sea. Praise God. I don't know what you've done. Y'all listen to me. I don't know what you've done in your life, but probably all of us have messed up. All of us have missed the mark. All of us have been tools in the devil's tool chest. But God in his mercy and God in his grace and God in his great love, you know what I'm talking about. You've been messing up lately. You've not been walking with the Lord. You've not had a heart for God. You've been listening to that music that's not glorifying the Lord. You've been hanging around that crowd that's 
taken you away from the will of God for your life. And yet the Lord is merciful and the Lord is slow to anger. And God's got a great love for you and me. And He doesn't give up on us. Hallelujah. He's not finished with us yet. And He says if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And He don't remember our sin anymore. People around us will remember our sin. People around us remind us what we did. But God said, what sin are you talking about? What do you mean by that? It's gone under the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus, forgiven, clean, reconciled to God, a child of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You say, Pastor, I'll tell you what, if you've been forgiven a lot, you'll love a lot. I don't know about y'all, but I've been forgiven a lot. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Have you been forgiven a lot? You know you have. We all have. That makes me want to love the Lord that much more. Why? We can fight our fear. We can run from it, try to forget it, or face it and rise. The choice is yours. What are you going to do? Because our sins are cast in the depths of the sea. Stand together with me, would you?